Oh my gosh. Welcome to October guys. I did not publish on Wednesday because I was saving it because I was so excited. I was getting to finally get a conversation with the incredible Stephanie Izzy from Autism Included, which is their nonprofit and Access Speech, which is their SLP clinic. Guys, She's on LinkedIn, Facebook, and just join in the gram. So I'll make sure I have those down in the show notes. Stephanie's going to be sharing some things with us today because in October, I want to talk about access to services in a late identified life. Like what's available? What might we be interested in? You know, what are some things that might be beneficial or helpful to us in late identified life? Because guys, I have an auditory processing delay. So SLP services, integrated listening systems, all of those things were not brought to my attention. I found them like everything else in my late identified life through my child. So Stephanie's going to be joining us. And we're going to talk all things, services, and how to get started, especially when it comes to speech language things in our life. <laughs> Stephanie, welcome to the show. I'm so excited you're here. I'm very excited to be here. Thank you. Oh my goodness. Okay. So late identified life, my autistic brain, this is what we are. This is what we're about. That's why I'm here. We're talking about all the things that are part of our experience in late identified life, be it autistic, ADHD, dyslexic, dyspraxic, all of the indie umbrella, because a lot of times we discover one thing and then it's like layer by layer, we start to identify all of the other components. And one of those things for me was my auditory processing delay. And it was a huge one because I didn't recognize I had been struggling with that. And it was, yeah. it would get worse later in the day for me. Cause I'm sort of my yep. peak performances in the morning. And I did not discover the joy of closed captions on television and how it makes, I can't even hear if it's I don't have closed one. captions on <laughs> anymore. So, you know, it's like all of those things that just start to make a difference. So Stephanie, how did autism come into your world? Let's kind of just start with you and your story. Okay, sure. Um, so I um, was identified as an adult um, or discovered my diagnosis rather as an adult. Um, since I started, I, I started working as a, an SLP after going to grad school and I, I knew I was different and I pushed really hard to actually get an ADHD diagnosis, which I also have. Um, and that was something that I discovered. And I, I became an SLP. I started working a lot with autistic kids. Um, and I was slow on the um, realization. I kept saying to myself, oh, I don't think any of these kids are autistic. They're just like me. They're, they can't be autistic. And so after a while of that, it became apparent that um, I had it backwards and <laughs> I was just like them because uh, I was also autistic and discovered that um, I actually had had that diagnosis as a child as well and just didn't realize it wasn't disclosed. Um, and that then I have my I have my own child now who who is also autistic. So I learned a lot. Um, I'm so happy to find the the neurodiversity movement and the community of autistic adults that are great advocates. It was very helpful and enlightening. Um, and uh, it really helped with that cognitive dissonance of the way that we address the needs of autistic children, adults, and everyone in between um, doesn't fit with the reality of the autistic brain. And so that's kind of been the focus of our nonprofit and our, our speech therapy supports, and we're, we're bringing in occupational therapy 
as well because these things can be um extremely helpful um and supportive and necessary but they're so hard to to find and the the way that a lot of professionals still approach you know the needs of autistic people is kind of the opposite of what they actually need <laughs> that can be really challenging to navigate it really can and you know what i think you you speak to like sort of the core of the accessibility issue for us as adults in that you know how how our therapists and practitioners are being trained to identify and yeah. recognize autism traits and and those challenges as well as as those places where we excel and what that looks like is so narrow and so small and it does not encompass the community of incredible autistics that present in very different and unique ways. Yes. And so I think that is really sort of part of that conversation and shifting so that we do have more access and people don't look at us and go, well, you don't look autistic. You can't possibly be autistic. You hold eye contact and you have friends and you know, all those incredibly like, yep. are you kidding me? <laughs> Comments, <laughs> you know, because it's, it, and that sort of, you know, goes to you were trained. And so you showed up in the yes. world going, well, these kids can't possibly be autistic. They're like me instead of going, well, <laughs> Hey, there's this beautiful spectrum of, of how we show up in the world. And this is just me. And these kids are me. <laughs> so, and it is, you know, we are. go for decades, <laughs> not, yeah. And we go for decades, not knowing. So what are some of the things that, you know, as a late identified adult yourself as a mom, cause I'm a mom and that was sort of, we were both talking about, that's kind of how we came to our own, you know, awareness and identification, but that's also kind of how we started to recognize oh, that actually would help me too. Yes. What are some of those, those things, especially like from the SLP, the speech language side of things that would be really helpful? Because like I learned to navigate a lot of stuff and didn't realize it, but then I found right. all these things that were like hugely helpful once I knew to look for them. So what are some of those yes. things, Stephanie? What, you, you mentioned auditory processing and I think that's a huge part of, um, of the supports that are really helpful. And the first step is, is kind of identifying whether or not that is a struggle for you. And it can tie into so many other things like sensory processing and attention and fatigue um, and all of those, those uh, executive functioning <laughs> you know, pieces that um, I think kind of go together. So being able to recognize you know, that interception kind of um, idea that, okay, now I know for me, um, auditory processing is a struggle, especially if there's distractors, especially if if it's a highly stressful situation. So, um, and again, unfortunately, that or fortunately, a lot of it's accommodation and not anything that is direct therapy. If that makes sense, there's no like thing to practice. You can get better, but I think the accommodations are hugely important and being able to advocate for those. So you mentioned the closed captioning on TV. That has been a huge game changer for me. I am. Uh, loving closed captioning <laughs> so I'm actually gonna hit our live transcript right now because I forgot right. to when I jumped in here because I'm and I'm just like what is missing something is missing why can't I hear <laughs> exactly and knowing that um I I have an autistic spouse also so navigating relationships when you have or you know professional relationships too I think knowing that about yourself that hey 
if you're talking to me, especially after, you know, four or 5 p.m. or, you know, at this time or when I'm doing something, um, I might not be able to process what you're saying. I need extra time to process it. I need could you write it down. We do a lot of texting at home. It's been a huge help. Um, I'd much we even went, a phone call. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just divulge because, you know, I mm-hmm. just do this. <laughs> so not only do we sometimes, Josh and I, text each other just for like communication stuff. We also will sext each other. <laughs> exactly. You can, we use emojis a lot too because they were oh, yes. like an amazing totally. way to um, share those feelings and like not have to rely so heavily on language. It's okay, a really memes? nice meme communication like oh my gosh okay so my partner loves to communicate in in, in memes so we get memes I get all kinds of crazy memes you too it's beautiful (laughs) Mm -hmm. it's beautiful and I love it and knowing that and celebrating that and being able to say like hey I might not be able to hang in there for an hour and a half phone call I don't I can't (laughs) phone calls are not my thing but I would love to just drop these in and, and um, being mindful of that in friendships and in all these different relationships that you can still um, let people know you're thinking about them and share really deep parts of yourself with them through these other avenues. Um, and it, it really is a nice uh, adaptation. <laughs> oh my gosh, Stephanie, that's huge. I love that. Because, you know, Allie and I in Her Brain Connection Lab, that's what we talk about is relationships. And, and from our perspective, you know, because most everything out there is all about, you know, the guy and, and the man's perspective. And, and when we say her brain, we're talking about her, she, they, and them. We're talking about monogamous. Yeah. We're talking about polyamorous. We're talking about queer, non-binary, you know, chromodiverse, yes. all of that, because that's us in this community, you know, especially coming from this side of the, the table, you know, in a relationship. And that's one of the things that I think, you know, from a societal point of view, like when you have like auditory processing delays, those can influence and impact your relationship if you're not aware of it, or if yes. you're just starting to become aware of it. And it's like, there can be those frustration points where people are interpreting your communication style as being detached or or you're not interested, you know, and, or you don't want to talk to me, you know, you don't want to share your day or whatever. And I'm like, at the end of the day, I'm not yours. I can't take it in. Right. And so, but when you can have that conversation and you're on, and there's a, a connection there that goes, you know, Hey, I want to hear about it like over coffee in the morning, if that works for you. Yes, the time of day. And I think trusting that not only about yourself, but about your communication partners is hugely important. Auditory processing is a piece. Um, Also, our use and processing of language, like there's a variety within the autistic community of how language gets processed. And, you know, you'll hear about some people being really visual and some people being really literal and, you know, and, or, or associating different things, both processing and expressing themselves with language can be, I wouldn't even want to say it can be a challenge because we haven't been talking about it openly. And I think with, you know, my sister, I, again, that process of uh, identifying as autistic for me, I was like, no, we're both just ADHD. And she also has (laughs) you know, discloses that she has that ADHD diagnosis, but um, I was like, right, you're the same as I am, right? And so we would look at all of these things and I realized very quickly, no, nope, she's not. She does not process things the same way. And once we discovered that, like our communication got a lot better because one of the things I talk about with 
with the families that I counsel and people that, that are discovering that they too have some of these autistic traits is where in your life do you see communication breakdowns? And it's not that you have, there's anything wrong with you or how you're communicating. When you can say to a communication partner, I want to push through this. Here's what I'm trying to say. What are you hearing? Like both, it goes both ways. Like if you have that trust and that that safety and that flexibility to um, come into a conversation, even if, you know, I, I accidentally offend people a lot of the time <laughs> and didn't realize why. Um, and people would misunderstand what I was saying a lot. Um, people, I, I process things quickly and I make connections that I didn't explain, right? I'm a big picture, then focus on the details kind of thinker. And so understanding that and when people, when you're, you're not landing, right? When I'm like, that didn't land the way I intended it to land. Um, having that knowledge and self-awareness, not, not self-awareness, but awareness of communication styles too, to say, hey, uh, let's push through this. I, I don't think that landed correctly and vice versa. I'm interpreting what you're saying as this or your tone is making me think something. Um, is that accurate? Like just to be able to clarify that communication repair is what I call it. Like learning about how, when there are breakdowns in communication, how do you repair that? Um, and it, it's definitely a two-way street, right? It's you and whoever you're partnering with and however they think. Um, oh, that's a really good one. You know, the, Allie and I always talk about this, those four levels of communication that are happening when we're communicating with another person. And it's, you know, what I intend to say, what I actually say, you know, the lens and the filter that the other person is taking that in with, and then sort of, and then their interpretation of that. And there's, there's, there's four levels in that for things to go amiss and to, and to <laughs> not connect, you know, and sometimes to completely explode. And I, and I love this because, you know, Brene Brown uses this term and it, it's just become one that I just think really has helped me in my life. And I've shared it, you know, cause I, I think it's so helpful. Fabulous reasons. Like I show up and it's like, well, this is kind of what I'm hearing. This is the story I'm telling myself. Cause it's that internal monologue yes. that's really yeah. getting in the way of, of, of communication a lot of times. And if we need a little more time to process what somebody says, yep. And they're like, and they're maybe a high speed auditory processor and they're expecting you to have a response right mm -hmm. away. And when you don't, <laughs> then there's a story they're telling themselves about why you don't. <laughs> there's all this stuff that can go awry. So Stephanie, what would you say, like from a repair standpoint, because I love this. I think this is just a great conversation from a repair standpoint. Like if we're starting to notice, maybe we don't notice, you know, because sometimes we're in our own Not head. Mm -hmm. thinking about the, what we're going to say next or, or interpreting and processing what someone just said. And for those of us who may, you know, need a little extra processing time, it, it, there's that gap in there. And so there's a lot of space to be filled with thought between these two <laughs> folks having a conversation. What is maybe one of the, you know, one or two tips that you've got, like, okay, kind of here's some things to look for for when maybe communication's going off the rails a little bit, how to bring it back into repair. Yeah, to be quite honest, um, I for myself as an autistic communicator, I do check-ins with communication partners and it really will depend on how comfortable you are kind of with this person and disclosing what you what you want to about yourself. Um, you know, you know, 
there's no need to disclose uh, anything that you don't want to, but to say like, hey, I just want to check in um, and see what you heard. Here's what I'm trying to say to be really clear. Um, and then with someone you have a relationship with, I think the most important thing is to be constantly open about the, your communication style. I've told people, you know, when you say something like this, um, when you come in and it sounds like something is really urgent, it, it makes me really anxious. So if there's something that isn't really urgent, could you just put it in, in an email and, you know, feel free to check in. I tell people to remind me about things all the time. I'm like, I forget things. <laughs> so please don't feel like it's rude to uh, remind me if I'm supposed to be doing something that you don't feel like I've, uh, you know, gotten back to you on. And then if, if there is a communication breakdown, it really takes two-way trust. It, it takes trust in that relationship. And you both have to, I always say, like, assume um, positive intent with a communication partner. No one is, you know, be honest if you're going in there trying to make someone mad. <laughs> like, you have to be honest about that. And so does your communication partner. But usually that's not the case. Um, you just have to kind of work through misunderstandings and miscommunication, I think, just in an open uh, and, you know, continuous way. That's such a good one. You know, that was one that I'm going to be honest. I always assume, assumed that somebody was coming after me. I didn't assume good intent, right? I didn't. I, I because hey, rejection sensitivity over here. Um, sure. So, you know, and I, it's kind of funny because, excuse me, hang on, I got a minute. <laughs> yeah, tickle in my throat. But, you know, that was like, People, my mom would always say, oh, Carol Jeannie, where you're hard on your sleeve, your feelings get hurt so easily, honey. And I was like, well, that's because the whole world is attacking me. I felt like everybody was out to get me and I was always wrong, right? But I, I noticed and I learned, you know, over the last few years, the more I learned about me, right? It was like, oh, wow. I actually was going into each conversation already prepared for the worst and expecting the worst. And I already had my defenses up. So I really wasn't listening. Absolutely. I, really wasn't I think showing up just to be curious and open. It's so important too to validate that those thoughts come from somewhere. Like there are, there's constant messaging that autistic people are wrong and doing things wrong. And, and that's very valid. I, I don't think it's an easy thing to just say for an autistic person to assume positive intent, but it has been helpful, especially in close relationships where you really do want to put that effort in. And, and if someone's open to, to you as well, you know, then, then it works really, really well, but it does I think it's practice. huge. Yeah. Well, it, it does. And it just takes knowing that, oh gosh, I, I don't have to show up to a conversation like prepared for battle and like, per, like protecting myself. <laughs> Honestly, I mean, seriously, like, Hey, I, I, I am more literal in, th in my thinking than I recognize for a long time. <laughs> it's like, I get that I can be a literal thinker, but I, I've also learned to encompass it and think in the gray, which has been huge because <laughs> I'm a visual thinker, but I'm also one of those high-speed thinkers. I'm like you. Yes. And one of my mentors <laughs> said to me, we were working on a project together and he said, Carol Jean, I know that you're like 50 miles ahead of us. You have already solved all the problems and you are up there already going but the rest of us have to catch up a little bit. We have to have some of those things in between. Can you come just circle back and check on us and leave a post-it note? That's all I'm asking. <laughs> That's a great, I love, leave a post-it note's a good, 
<laughs> he was like, like look that. i know i know you're over the mountain like we can't even see you you're not even like it, on the on the horizon anymore because you have already solved this problem that the rest of us are still back here at like step six and you're at step 200 could you just circle back and leave us a post-it note that's so we know where to find you <laughs> or at least oh, how to get to so you <laughs> and, and i've always thought so, about it that way like in communication it's, so interesting. Too. it's great i mean and that is someone clearly like willing to work and say hey this is what i need what do you need i think it's also important to um just take note of the fact that for a lot of us autistic brains it is it can be hard to notice when people don't have good intent so to to be able to check in with yourself and say like okay if you do feel uncomfortable in a situation it's great to assume positive intent but it's also important to check in especially if you don't have that good relationship or that trust with someone to check in and say okay is there something about this that doesn't sit right with me and why and if you sometimes you know I, I tend to have that black and white thinking and knee-jerk reaction and so sometimes I go through and I'm like am I am I seeing what I think I'm seeing am I sensing what I think I'm sensing about this interaction and I just go through and find evidence like okay so do I think this person has you know, good intentions and you can trust your gut a little bit there too. So it's not to say that you have to go into everything completely blind to the fact that someone might not have good intentions or oh, someone man. might be being a jerk or having a bad day or whatever it is. Um, oh my gosh, so, you, bring, yeah. you bring up such a, a good element to this conversation, Stephanie. I, I love how your brain works. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, but that's like a big thing too. Cause like in late identified life, one of the things that I noticed for myself, one of the biggest things that, that, I notice across the board with all of the coaching clients that I work with. And it's that we have gotten to a place where we ignore or don't trust our gut because we've been told, you know, in the past, because we will pick up on it early and we're like, Oh no, that person is not mm -mm, no, no. And we will tell other people trying to protect them from this person that we have recognized does not have a good intent. And people are like, Oh no, you can't. No, they're wonderful. They're so awesome. Six months later, they're like oh that person was really just like mm, they're horrible blah 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 yes. and nobody ever says but you know what I should have listened to you you were right no one ever no, tells you <laughs> but you're going I told you see I told you I was right but then you doubt yourself that whole time because you're like oh everybody else seems to like them right well and you know I think that a lot of us pick up on patterns really fast and so that you've you've seen something and so if if it's possible to slow down and, and kind of identify what it is because, you know, these people might not be malicious human beings, but people can act in ways that are harmful and, and um, kind of destructive without even intending to. So if you're sensing a pattern and you're like, not even this is a bad person, but I sense this when I've seen this before, it meant this. When I've seen that kind of interaction of bad mouthing your friends to you constantly it meant that you know this person's kind of trying to get control or whatever it is that you can sense and and fit into that pattern that feels so nice in the autistic brain that you're just like oh it feels good to have a pattern recognized and to tell other people like i have it. a framework to operate <laughs> <Yes>. from now <laughs> which i think is great um and Me so too. again leveraging autistic strengths to um support those areas where it might not be a strength in the world that we live in um I think it's hugely important 
So I love that you said that because I think that really kind of moves us into this next part that I really want to talk to you about. And it's, Stephanie, how do we leverage our autistic strengths in recognizing patterns and becoming aware of seeing sort of a consistency? What are some of the speech and language things that in retrospect as a late identified you know, neurodivergent human, how do we like look back and maybe start seeing a pattern that we may have some speech language challenges or, or, or barriers that maybe we have been navigating our life that we haven't quite noticed or been able to connect the dots to go, oh, this is an auditory processing (laughs) delay. Oh, this is, you know, a, a language, you know, processing part that we have or a processing delay in, in any type yeah. of speech language area, what are some of those and what are, how can we maybe start seeing that using our autistic brains here to put those patterns together and how do we then seek help? What do we seek help for? Yeah. What do we look for in a speech language um, therapist? You know, as an adult, what do we, what do we get access to? How do we access this? What do we do? Two really great questions. Okay, so the first part, looking back on patterns and trying to identify where you might have some of those um, speech language communication uh, needs. So I think I I was trained as a scientist before I was an SLP. My brain loves that process. And I think it was not a, you know, not just a coincidence that a lot of colleagues have autistic brains. They just do it. That pattern seeking and that, um, liking to fit things in a box and, and some of that processing, I think is helpful. And so I think being able to look back and say, okay, where do I find things difficult, uncomfortable? Where do I struggle? Um, where, in what situations am I kind of just missing something? It feels like I'm missing something. And then just kind of gather evidence. And so say, okay, is it when, um, you can also do it going forward rather than looking back in time. You can look forward. Okay, do some hypothesis testing. I think I might have an auditory processing disorder. Uh, if that's the case, <laughs> would writing things down help? And so kind of trying things out and seeing what works, um, I think is a good way to kind of consider, you know, um, where might I be struggling and, and trying to identify some of those things that resonate with, with you. Also reading and, and or listening to other autistic adult stories they'll people have done this work <laughs> and have identified things that start you've done a great job of of highlighting some of these struggles and I think when people hear that like for me you know listening to podcasts like yours it's like oh oh that resonates with me and so then I can go explore that and and test those hypotheses so that's a, a great question um and I think that's where I'd start because there is no one size fits all kind of answer to this no. So what would be like some of the, the top areas of speech language that you tend to work most often with your autistic and ADHD clients? What are the things that come up most frequently? Like, is yeah. it auditory processing delay? It, you know, what are those For particular sure. speech language things? Auditory processing is a big area. And I think it's, um, like I said, tied into these other areas of attention, that uh, monotropism that we sometimes have of like, I I'm attending to this and I, I really want to talk about this. Um, so the auditory processing and then uh, t- uh, the attention stream, I'm talking about this and, and I want to share this, that, that um, these aren't things I work on, but I, it, they are things that I 
think are really important to recognize are like the modalities of communication for autistic people of like, sometimes I just want to sit with you and um, just be in your presence. And that's how we're connecting. And it doesn't have to rely so much on speech and language. And it is valid and important. Um, and sometimes I just really want to talk to you about my pet topic of the week. Like I am a person who really has a hard time not sharing everything I know about topics that I'm passionate about. Um, and right I, there with you. Right, right. It's never something I would ever quote unquote work on. But it is dumping is my love language. Yes, it is something to recognize and to appreciate, and also appreciate that not everyone can handle that right now. <laughs> so that's okay. Um, yeah, like I, I, I have gotten where I actually ask my partner now. It's like I'm really excited, and I've got like all these these things sparking in my brain, and so I need to just I want to share them, and I need to get them out of my head and out of my mouth into the world in your brain. And I was like, I don't really even care if you listen; just kind of hold space for me. Exactly. <laughs> I can't, it's can't, are you in a place to do that? And he'll go, I totally can't take it in right now. Or, you know, and I'm like, okay, or he'll go, okay, how about it? I'm listening. I can't wait. Where are you going to, what do you want to share? And what a great reframe. Like, I think it's important. It might be helpful to kind of say, here's what I don't do that most SLPs I think would work on. So here's what I don't work on. Um, but I do think it, they're important things to recognize. That's one of them for sure. Um, the other one is, is narrative storytelling. So, it, which is so cultural. I, I really do consider this like a different a difference in culture, right? The autistic culture communicates very differently than the neurotypical culture. That doesn't mean we can't communicate with one another. But I think framing it that way, it takes it, it, it it's like I would never work on it. I would never try to change someone's culture. But I think being aware of these cross-cultural <laughs> differences is important, right? So in narrative storytelling, I am someone who, again, the processing speed is there. So you're bouncing around maybe again, I have the ADHD overlaid on it. So I'm going off on a tangent and I'm like, ah, oh, I've got all these things going on. Hang with me, hang with me here. <laughs> and with the auditory processing piece, I ask my sister and other professionals who um, have different styles of communication, can you tell me the big picture first? Can you just give me that overview first so I can then focus on what you're saying? Because I can't follow your, even though that's how I talk, I can't follow your <laughs> when it's bouncing around. That is, that is a huge one. I'm the same. I was like, I got to have like the big framework. Then all the little stuff makes sense to me, but the, none of the little stuff makes sense to me. If I don't know, if I don't have the overview, if I don't have that 10,000 foot view, yes. the 10 foot view makes no sense to me. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I can it. see it. Sure. You could talk to me about it, but it's not, it's not assembling in my visual thinking. No. And that's so important to know. And you can ask for that. Like the self-advocacy I think is, is huge. And again, it, it does sound like you're putting a lot of onus on on people, but I think if you think of it as that cultural difference of like, this is not how I do things. And I just need a little bit of support to, to it goes both ways, right? Like you can accommodate one another in a conversation. Um, and that that goes to, you know, we, we haven't even touched on like modalities in terms of support, multimodal communication pictures. And we talked a little bit about the emojis, but. I, hey, I have, I, have, <laughs> I have mutism that shows up when I am really, really stressed. And Absolutely. especially if I, I will go into shutdown, you know, in my 
before I started doing all of the things that I do now, I mean, I'm going into, I'm in year three and a half, moving closer to year four of no shutdown, no burnout, no meltdown, which I didn't know was possible after 40, this is 40 years of on the chronic cycle burnout loop since age six. And a lot of it had to do with unmet needs. And one of those was not recognizing my need for certain sensory profile needs, not recognizing my need and, and of auditory processing delay, you know, noise canceling headphones, having captions makes a difference because my cognitive load was so huge from trying to focus and concentrate and process what somebody was saying. And then I also had, you know, because I have some other co-occurring health conditions, you know, and this is one of the areas that I study is vision therapy and vision science, my eye teaming and tracking depending on my stress level and what was going on with particular health conditions would change. And I wouldn't be able to read because I could not, my teaming was off. I couldn't track to read. So, you know, and then there's, how does that then impact and influence all of these other things when you're talking about like cognitive load, right? Yes. So fascinating. I mean, again, we can broaden it even more. I work with apraxia of speech. It's a huge deal. Um, And, and knowing and being able to explore different modalities, whether you rely on AAC to communicate all the time or having it available, being able to text. I used to write down coffee orders because ordering food was very anxiety provoking. And just being able to say like, you know what? Why can't I just hand you a piece of paper and order something? Like, why is that a big deal? (laughs) It's not, look at that. (laughs) Wow. So I think um, it it does take a lot of work um, because services are really limited. For adults and I think a lot of professionals are not trained or not even aware that there would be a consideration for a lot of these things so I think um you know with my own therapist I do a lot of just work with her like we're teaching each other right I'm saying here's what what works for me um and I finally have found someone who has that a relationship where um you know they're trusting what I say is real and not being like, well, autism. So, no, right. (laughs) So what are some things like just, you know, from your side of things, like what are some things that you would, you would suggest as sort of a framework or or sort of some starting points for, you know, late identified autistic adult ADHD or who's listening today and are watching today. And they're like, okay, I'm recognizing some of these things and I'm starting to connect the dots where, how do I find an SLP and get some services or what do I look for? How do I do this so that I'm getting somebody that's actually going to like connect and help me. And sort of like what yes. you're describing here, find somebody that's working with you and gets it. There are some great resources that are, are growing, um, over time. The therapist neurodiversity collective has some, a list and there's other, um, online resources that are compiling lists of therapists who are starting to get it right. Like these are people who are committed to um doing therapy of various kinds in the right way and I think I think all of those are very important you know an SLP has expertise but um you know there are other types of therapy that might be really helpful and I think exploring what works for you is is huge and the autistic community the autistic adult community they love to share resources so I found great (laughs) lists of therapists but you know it's not exhaustive because like I said, a lot of, a lot of people aren't even aware. Professionals are not even aware that this is something to consider. And I, I do think it really depends on um, 
the relationship you have with a professional and if you can find someone who will who's open to it so first of all i would absolutely shut it down if you get a negative response if you're disclosing that you're autistic or if you're bringing up these concepts and you you tend to that is a place i would have a knee-jerk reaction if i'm talking to a professional and they're like uh well you know i've worked with a lot of autistic people and i just don't think you're autistic then i don't i don't think that it's on the autistic person to teach that particular professional <laughs> i think that's going to be a longer road than you need to go down and it is not <laughs> you know what I mean? and here's the thing you don't have to go with the first person you talk to and just because you talk to them you no. can you absolutely have the agency and the leadership and you're in authority in your own life to go nope you're not my person yep you and this is actually how i look at this and i'll just i'll just share this for a sec before you because i think you've got some great stuff but just like from my experience here my mom taught me this so this was a really good one my mom never sees any medical professional, any practitioner, any anybody for anything, even her auto body stuff. She interviews them. Yes. And that she will tell phenomenal. them, I'm interviewing you. I have not hired you yet. Absolutely. And, I, and if you don't you meet know, my criteria, thanks for no, your time. <laughs> it, it is a service. And I understand completely that we won't get an insurance or it would be hours and hours of <laughs> insurance is awful. Um, it can be a huge barrier. Cost is a huge barrier, but it's, and I, I hate to put it this way, it's better to have nothing than a bad therapist. I really firmly believe that I've had some bad therapy myself and seen the effects of bad therapy on kids, adults, and it, it, it's, it's hard. It's a hard line to walk. I think um, giving it that service, this is a service. And if you don't like that professional, professional don't stick with them at all. Um, so that's thing one, but sometimes just because someone is ignorant of a topic or doesn't have the um, the keyword that you are are looking for, um, doesn't mean that they might. If they're willing to explore that with you, a lot of the best therapists I found didn't really know what they were doing or what to call what they were doing, but they had that good instinct. Of um, a lot of SLPs I've worked with, executive functioning coaches that I've worked with. Um, even me, I, I mean, I, I think I was doing a lot of things with clients that were really great, but didn't know what to call it. And so if someone had come to me and said, I'm autistic and have an auditory processing disorder, I might not know off the bat that I could, you know, that I could help with that. But my attitude was always, um, let's see what works for you. Let's, let's go through and see if you have someone like that, that's worth a lot, <laughs> even if, and then they can refer you if they don't have the expertise, right? So then you can build those relationships and connections with professionals that will really, um, really help, I think. Yeah, because the nice thing is, if you identify somebody that is open and curious and willing to, you know, help from that perspective, not showing up like in their rightness, like I know everything, but in the uh, curious and open, you know, hey, let's figure out what works best for you. They are nine times out of 10 associated with other professionals that approach life yes. and practice in the same way. So even if maybe if it doesn't fit into their zone of genius and they're like, Hey, I would love to help you. This really just, this is out of my particular wheelhouse, but I have a, a colleague who this really falls in theirs. And I'd love to refer you to them. Yes. Nine times out of 10, it's going to be a good referral too. I have found. Absolutely. And starting with the professional that clicks with you. So like there are occupational therapists, like I said, executive function, speech and language therapy, vision therapy is another huge area that's becoming really, you know, the importance of these things is being recognized finally. And I think, um, you know, if you find someone 
who you click with, I think that's really great. And uh, for so many of us, I think we did a lot of the work ourselves, <laughs> you know. Um, and I, I said that to my my own therapist and and to families that I work with. I can teach you, and I can I can share my perspectives, and I can work with you. But it might there might come a time when taking a break makes sense, and and going off on your own and exploring and seeing what works for you. You know what I mean? Like you said, a lot of this isn't isn't like um, you know rehabilitative therapy for a broken leg or something. It's not the same. It's not. There's no therapy that I'm really as a speech language even though we call it speech therapy um I do some of that you know for for things that need therapy but a lot of it is exploring the accommodations and the strategies and the um you know practicing the things that work for individuals like it, it's not anything it's not magic it's where we're we're not mag magicians up here so I think that professionals like you said it's a service and these are people that can help, but make sure they're helping. <laughs> they do not have like any, you know, wisdom beyond <laughs> human totally. capacity. So. You know, and then that's one of the things too that I think we see a lot of is that sometimes depending on where we live, depending on the access that we have to finding the services that we need that we're starting to identify in late identified life, you know, and some of those is too, it's Sometimes we don't have the, the vocabulary, the vernacular yeah. to identify what the need is or what the, what the challenge is, you know, even what those sensory profile things are. And uh, guys, I'm really excited because part of my new book is How Spicy Is Your Burnout coming out November the 4th. And it is triage for when you're hemorrhaging energy. Part of that and part of the unveiling method is going in and I have a needs reflection form and I have a sensory profile form. And this is not from a deficit model, guys, because most things that are out there when we're talking about sensory profile comes from the deficit model. And I just want you to know that is just part of your neurologist, part of how you're wired. The sensory yes. profile is natural. That is just the way we experience it. So the sensory profile that I created for us as neurodistinct humans looks at it and just says, you know, hey, what is this for you? Because in burnout, your sensory profile is different than your thrive time. Oh, and also beautiful. being able to, <laughs> yeah, right. And being able to go through a needs reflection where it takes you through like five of the largest areas of need in your life and helping you go, oh, okay, this need gets met. And by you know, where the inverse of that, it's like, oh, well, this need is going unmet. That is the place to start because it's those consistent unmet needs that lead to burnout and that chronic cycle burnout loop. That is so if you, fabulous. So yes. if you guys are looking for some, some help that maybe you have, don't have access to something close to you, know that the unveiling method is online and accessible and you can absolutely contact me. I have one-on-one -on -one coaching application available on resources.mindyourautisticbrain.com. Go take a look at it. Apply. Let's just figure out what resources you might need. Cause you know what? Stephanie may be your jam. She may be exactly what you need. So if you want to connect with Stephanie, Access Speech is the SLP clinic she and her sister run, and they have a nonprofit called Autism Included. And I'm going to make sure I have all of those things in the show notes. They are on LinkedIn, Facebook, and now Instagram. They're just starting to grow their Graham channel. So guys, make sure you go follow them and check them out under Autism Included. And I want to make sure that you know how you approach life, the way that you navigate life every day, be it 
with your headphones, be it with closed captions, you know, be it with an aided device. If you need AAC sometimes, you know, Hey, I even put an app on my phone so that those times where I'm just like, my ears are tired and my mouth is just not connecting to my brain. I can use emojis and memes and I just, you know, text and connect, whatever makes it easy. So just know that there are lots of resources out there. And Stephanie is an amazing resource. If you need some information or insight on anything SLP, or if you heard something today that connected with you and you're like, whoa, I have experienced this my whole life and I never knew this was what it was. Feel free to reach out to Steph. I'm sure she has some amazing insights and resources to share with you on those things. Please go check her out and support she and her sister and their amazing work they're doing in the world. Thanks so much for being here today, Stephanie. And guys, don't forget, you want to get on that pre-order list for How Spicy Is Your Burnout coming November 4th. I love it. Thank you so much.